Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I am Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. Hello. So, you may be expecting a third person with us right now. Um, Rufi is having some technical difficulties with her computer, I believe. So, um, she is running a little bit behind. We're hoping, fingers crossed, that she's able to join us um, at some point during uh, the episode. So we're holding out for her. And Rufi, if you're not able to join us tonight, we hope we can catch up with you at another time because we have a big, big list of yeah, questions. Yeah, I, I actually I actually did most of the questions this time around and I'm quite proud of them. So I think we're going to just discuss our questions together on our own um, because they're way too damn good to not share. Oh, they are some awesome questions and I don't know, I somehow clicked something that makes the screen not switch to whoever's talking so I'm just going to manually click over to whoever's talking because I don't want to be on the screen the whole time. <laughs> you don't want everybody to see the wonderful you? I don't want everyone to see, I can even see it and my screen is tiny. All right, this right here right there. That is an injury from Barnes & Noble yesterday. I said book reading was not a dangerous sport? Did not know Michelle and I. No, it is very dangerous. I bent down to put something back on the shelf and I misjudged the distance between my forehead and the shelf above me and nailed myself like full like, full speed bending down. <laughs> And that's like the resulting, like it's huge. It looks like it needs its own zip code. I put my head in my pool the other uh, last weekend. Ugh, makes you feel awful. better. It does make me oh feel a lot better. So, and I can see this clicking thing is not, Diana, you might be on the screen the whole time. Just letting you know. Hello everyone. <laughs> Enjoy so, while you can. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what are you drinking tonight? Huh? What are we drinking tonight? I am finishing off uh, Luna de Luna from last week. Nice. I happened to leave it up here in my office because who does not leave bottles of wine in their office? I'm kind of upset with uh, my husband right now because he I had a whole box of empty wine bottles in the garage that I was saving for like a craft project that probably would have never happened. But <laughs> don't admit that when you're upset with the husband, because then it just gives him fuel. And he cleaned out the garage on Monday, and the bottles are all gone. So I have to start from scratch, building up my my Pinterest collection. Uh, I so. used to. I haven't made it in a long time. I used to make my own Kahlua. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I used to save my wine bottles for that. I haven't made that in years. I might need to do that this year. So I'm having a Pinot Grigio called the Girl and the Drag Girl and Dragon. Ooh, I've I've seen I had the um there's a red wine version of that one. Really? I've only seen the white wine. It's pretty good. I'm pretty sure there's a red one. I might have had the white one. Mine is uh that Chardonnay Pinot Grigio mix, which is actually quite a tasty mix. I had a glass of it last night because I don't know if any of you saw on our Facebook page, 
I went through our first, my first tornado warning last night in Illinois. That was fun. What was your first one? Because I've been through tornado warnings myself. Well, it was like I saw on uh, the Naval Base's Facebook page, I saw a post that a tornado effect was going to, or a tornado warning was in effect until midnight last night. And then all of a sudden, I'm, Rich is playing on the computer. I'm writing, and I have like my big band music going and really getting into my project. And I hear the siren go off. And it's this like, you know, like long, whining. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like your traditional air raid sirens from the 1940s is what it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, what do we do? Like, if it if a tornado comes through here, we hide in the bathroom, right? Yeah, you hide in the bathroom and then downstairs. Um, so, for me at the time, this will make you feel loads better about having to deal with uh, tornado warnings. Excuse me. <laughs> Stop playing so loudly, you two. Um, so we were living in Central Texas, and it was towards the end of Ryan's time in the military. And our tornado was going through our city. We were living in Temple, Texas at the time. Tornado is going through the city. I am in the bathroom, in the not just in the bathroom, but I am in the bathtub. Every blanket we own is on top of me. My dogs are with me, and Ryan's sitting there, going in the in the bathroom. He's sitting on the toilet, going back and forth, checking the TV, checking to see where the tornado is in our city. And he comes back in, closes the door, and I look at him I'm like, baby. I can't take this anymore. We need to go back to California. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's an interesting experience. I mean, obviously, no tornado came through, and it was perfectly fine. But just, like, give me an earthquake. I can do earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. Earthquake, you're minding your business. Nothing's happening. You don't know what's going on else an earthquake hits. You deal with it, it stops, you move on. There's none of this anticipation. Like yeah. you have hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis, might I add. I have been through tsunami warnings. Oh my God, I think I've been through a warning for every major weather incident. Hurricanes, tornadoes, flash floods, major mega snowstorms. Well, I remember Which, like we've, we've, we've had flash floods in, in California, like, yeah. but I don't, for some reason, I never really took those seriously. It's just like, okay. And I don't mean to sound like flippant because I know, you it know. Happened. But for for some reason, it, it never, I don't know. I can always, like, go up away from water, depending on how high it is. But if a tornado yeah. comes, there's really nowhere I can go. I, I picture the flash floods to be, like, at Universal Studios. And you go ride, which I've heard is really accurate. Um, we were in Australia when we got our tsunami warning, which was really creepy and scary because we're kind of, we get the tsunami warning and I'm like, what do we do? And we're, luckily we're kind of on a hill, so it wasn't like, but then again, you know, huge waves of water come through, doesn't matter. And Ryan's like, just looks at me and he's like, make sure our electronics aren't on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, um, okay. And we went for a couple's massage and that was that. I remember in San Diego they have 
or not San Diego, in Laguna Beach, they have uh, signs for the tsunami escape route, mm -hmm. and the arrows are all pointing like away from the beach. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, uh, that would make sense. Tsunami, go away from the water. You know, you would think that it would make sense for that, but then again, there are some people who are not blessed with uh, such things as common sense. True. But, so anyway, that was yes. my name. And that is why the bottle is already half empty. <laughs> so It was well, funny when we went to the, as you guys saw on our Instagram, we went to the wine store and I was like, oh, yeah. like, oh wine, it was so wonderful. And Ryan was like, okay, pick out two bottles, go for it. I was like, I okay, I'll go that need and then one that I just want. I do label shopping. I, I had eyed this label for a very long time before I decided to fork over the ten ninety nine to to buy it. <laughs> I'm not cheap. I swear I'm not cheap. But my husband thinks that we have like a bottomless money pit somewhere in the house. So if one of us doesn't watch our spending, then we will go bankrupt. <laughs> yes, I have been there. And you know, sweet. I think $10 is my max wine. Because, I mean, if I, I feel like if I spend more on a bottle of wine, like if I'm, like not at like a fancy restaurant kind of deal, I feel like this, I have to drink it all and I have to make sure I really truly appreciate it. If it's like more than ten dollars, because then it's like this is a really good bottle of wine. I, I, should, <laughs> I should be really savoring this, or I'm making this more of an experience, as opposed to mm, smells good. <laughs> it's good too. Right. So, yeah. And I don't always. I think I know this is probably a sin and a huge gasp, but I, I don't always finish my glasses. Like I'll kind of forget about them. I know. <laughs> and then I'll or I'll fall asleep on the couch and come down the next morning and see the glass sitting there. I'm like, oh crap! Oh, I'm oh I didn't raise a quitter, so I make sure to at least finish my glasses. Mm -hmm. um, but I finish most of them. My problem is that, like, because I'm the only one drinking in the family, I don't always necessarily finish the bottle. Yeah. So the game's um, I tried the wine slushy last weekend. Oh, how was it? It was pretty good. I think I want to do it, try it again, and I want to try to do it as like a um, a slushy sangria. That sounds delicious. Right? I think I'm going to do that this weekend. Because I make really strong sangrias, and I need to learn how to tame down my sangrias. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I had one glass of that last batch of sangria that I made. One one glass, people. One freaking glass. And I was passed out for about an hour. Which and is saying. Yeah. Yeah. And my and we, I was going to actually make us dinner. And I was I just like laid down and took this nap. And Ryan like woke me up. And he was like, come on, babe. Let's go get some dinner. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. All right. You know, about like just completely like just passed out tired. From it, so I'm like, yeah, I need to learn how to make a better, less strong sangria. Well, all right. So, shall we talk about this book? Yes. So this month we read the obligatory dual dual screen. 
Uh, so we read Dear Fang with Love. And um, yeah, we had a whole bunch of questions. So which one, which one do you want to start let's with? Let's just go down the list. All right, let's do this. Yes, yeah, so we'll make up our own answers for what we think. Okay. Yeah, okay. So the first one is, because it's it's pronounced villainous? I, villain? I've been, in my mind, I've, saying, I've been saying villainous, but that's probably wrong. Okay. So at, through the book, they, they keep saying, you know, while, while Lucas is there, they kept saying, um, anybody who comes here is going to return here. And Lucas is scared to death of that. Of, by the end of the book, he's like, I don't ever want to return here. And I think, I think he actually returns for Grandma Sylvia. Because at this point, people, let's put the spoiler alert out there. We are going to be talking about the full book. There yes. may be spoilers, so I would recommend if you have not finished reading the book and you care about the spoilers, to watch us after you've and, and listen after you've read the book. Otherwise, if you don't care about spoilers, listen on. So I think he was returning for Grandma Sylvia. What do you think? I think so too. I think she, even though she she's a a dead character. Like I mean, she's you know she passed away before the start of this book. She was so alive and present mm -hmm. in every aspect of the story mm -hmm. that, and I think in a non like not to give it a um, paranormal spin, but I think she needed him to go back so she he could meet his like what was he his. Or his his uh, aunt or his yeah his aunt yeah it was his aunt and see the unfinished business and see that these stories that she had these these very vivid stories I mean I talked about initially um, when I first brought up the book the rape birthday and how she was living in the woods um, and she had a what was it a woods husband a wilderness husband or something like that yeah a wood husband or something like that yeah wood husband and. Um, they had a child together, but she kept saying that she killed the child. And that's something else, too, that's really interesting, that I feel like in her head she had to say that she killed the child because she ended up giving it up. And that was pro. well, I mean, she went through so much, like escaping mm -hmm. the concentration camp, escaping mm -hmm. the gas chambers, getting raped by a Nazi, and then let loose in the woods. And that rape, that horrible act was what saved, ended up her, saved life. her life. And that's just so much to wrap your head around. And this actually goes into one of the um, later questions, but we don't have, here in America, we don't see those scars of the Holocaust. We don't mm -hmm. live with them like a lot of other people do. I mean, we have uh, a good, strong Jewish population in the country. We have survivors of the Holocaust here, um, but it doesn't hit home with so many of us like it, it does there. Yeah, I don't think, and I think, I mean, for, and this, uh, this is another one of the questions, but these are such sensitive topics that mm -hmm. this book talks about. So, you know, getting, I couldn't imagine 
like getting raped first of all, and then getting pregnant from. Although, well, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't those soldiers. I take that back. I just it just clicked for me. So it was but it, not. Yeah, it was a possibility. Yes, we thought Lucas thought that she got pregnant from the soldier who raped her, but she did not. <laughs> she got pregnant from her Woods husband, who we actually never really knew anything about. Yeah. But I mean, she. I, I don't know. It probably it would have been easier to imagine that the child was dead, rather mm -hmm. than deal with the guilt of abandoning it, and moving on and living this entirely other life with other children and other families, and mm -hmm. not knowing what happened to that child. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah, I mean, and then there's also the other story about. Um, Su is it Susan or Susanna? Her, fa her father and what he went through, how he escaped, but that none of his other, huh? That was terrifying. Yeah, how, yeah, he escaped and they got rounded up and uh, they got, he got stuck in a pantry and then other uh, boys got stuck in other places. And it was his cousins and his brother and he ended up escaping. He was small enough just to escape out of the pantry through a window and lived, but he never knew what happened to his brother or his cousins. And then when she goes back to try to, and she try, she's trying to finish this business for her father, she there's no record of him or anything. Mm -hmm. I can't, that must be, that's a lot to deal with. I mean, even as a descendant of who, didn't go through it, who didn't live through it, just dealing with all of that emotion on behalf of someone else, that's that's a little overwhelming, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, like for me, I, I don't know anything about my Italian side of the family beyond their immigration to the United States, and I really wanna know. That's something that I'm really wanting to search for and find them, and. Um, I think that's ended up what, what ultimately drew me to historical fiction was hearing these stories because I can imagine, you know, where they are. I want to know where we came from. But I can't, but for us, though, as far as I know, there wasn't any trauma like this. There mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, we didn't go through the Holocaust. We didn't deal with that. So I can't imagine having those feelings of wanting to know what happened on top of knowing that something bad did happen that something bad could have happened to your relatives. It's just, that's an awful thing to have to live with and deal with. Yeah, I don't really know much about, I know like my, um, I don't know anything really about my dad's side of the family, but they, they're all from Switzerland. So they, you know, they never came. My dad's the first one that came from Switzerland <laughs> to the United States. But um, on my mom's side, my grandfather, and my grandfather came from Switzerland to the U.S. My grandmother was already here, but my favorite story, little side note, hmm. favorite story about my grandparents and how they met. Um, my grandfather got a job working at a bank in Manhattan um, because his cousin was like a manager or something at the bank. And he started dating this Sicilian woman who his mom did not like because it was right after the end of World War II and she was Italian 
and everyone hated Italians. Mm -hmm. And she said, if you marry this girl, I'm going to have your cousin fire you from the bank. You'll, you will lose your job if you continue to talk to this girl. And he went in the next day and quit his job. <laughs> I was like, that's right. You quit your job. Yes, I love it. Oh, Grandpa will not be controlled. It is. But anyway. He slammed his cup down. He did. He slammed his cup down hard. <laughs> <laughs> so next question we can't, can't really talk about without Rufy because it was about the research that she did on the book. Mm -hmm. um, but we can do third one, kind of. Yes. Yeah, we can kind of do that because we can talk about our own experiences because we both come from very rich cultural heritages. So we can kind of relate to them in this regard. Uh, so the third question that I had for Rupi was um, Villainous, or whatever, because uh, <laughs> I know I'm butchering it and I don't have her here to correct me and I have nobody else around to correct me. Um, so people, if you're listening to, um, if you're on Twitter, feel free to correct me. I will appreciate it because I hate butchering yes. names. Anyone um, from Lithuania or familiar with Lithuania, if we should be pronouncing Vilnius, Vilnius a certain way, please let us know because mm -hmm. we know it's wrong. Yes, yes. So I would love to have you guys correct me on that. Mm -hmm. So anyways, Vilnius. Um, so often it felt like it, oh, I was, I jumped ahead. I was looking at four instead of three. Let's talk about four then. Okay. Um, since all of a sudden I got on this topic of uh, cultural identification. Okay. So the fourth question, we'll come back to the third question, but for the fourth question, uh, Katya and Ruf, Rufi, I just put Rufi. Vera. Okay. Katya <laughs> and Vera, Katya and Vera, uh, talk about their Russianness and wonder if it is enough. Do you think this is part of their struggle for self-identity? I think, oh, echo. Um, I think heritage, especially when, when you're coming from a heritage that's very proud, like, you know, the Italian, I mean, I, every heritage is proud, but there are certain ones that are like, yes, I am, you know, I am Italian. Like people that want to drive around with license plate that says happiness, is being Italian. Yes. Not that I, but my father does. So I mean, this is something that a number of us come from. Right. So like you know, you know the. I feel like Russian or being Russian is like being Italian or being Irish. Like they're very proud of of who they are. And Katya, I think, puts so much pressure on or so much emphasis on being Russian and being the right kind of Russian and the, you know, the, the right amount of Russian. And not just Russian, a Russian Jew. So there's, throughout the book, she starts to have these issues with Rufi. Um, Vera. Vera, oh, why am I saying? I need to drink more wine. Hold on. Okay, game on. So she has these problems with Vera and Vera, like when she has her mental breakdown, she's spouting off religious terminology, and a lot of her mental breakdown is around the religious, the religious terminology, and also her um, her her, her self identity through 
religion and she gets kind of gets obsessed with the you know jewish religion and how why the jews are persecuting when she starts to fall back apart well and i don't even think that i, I think that's normal for a teenager to start questioning like her background and and her heritage but it's like i i don't know again it felt like, I think because of her, her illness it was amplified. So you had a lot of that amplified. And I don't know about you, but for me, with being Italian American and then getting around Italians, it's like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm one of you. I'm like you, like when I've been around like recent immigrants. And then it's like, sometimes you, but at the same time, sometimes I end up feeling a little inferior. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not quite like you in that. We're, we're like a watered down version. Yeah, yeah. We're like both light versus like, I don't know what, what would be the because Bud Light like, watered down. Yeah, we're like the Bud Light compared to like um, a really nice. Um, we're like the wine coolers of the wine world. There you go. Thank you. Wine coolers <laughs> compared to a really nice Chianti. <laughs> um, I like that analogy. Thank you. Yeah, it feels like that sometimes when you come around somebody who is much closer to the heritage. So. And even when the when Vera had that fight with um, Judith mm -hmm. about asking about like, well, you know, did they do something to like bring it on themselves, like uh, to to an older woman who you know who, to someone who who had family go through the Holocaust and escape or who lost family. Um, during it, I could see how that's like super offensive and like, how dare you even say something like that. But she's 17, number one. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll even just put the mental illness aside for, mm -hmm. for this. She's 17. She doesn't know who she is. Her mother has spent her entire life pushing her, the Russian Jewish thing on her. Mm -hmm. And then she has, you know, this dad that's just not there. So she's trying to find out where she fits in. Because she, she mm -hmm. doesn't fit in in, like, the perfect family group with the mom and dad. And she doesn't fit in with the cheerleading group, who she tried to anoint with alcohol. And <laughs> so this is, like, her I mean, I would be her friend. Right. Talking about... This is coming from the girl who used to sit at the back of the gym on the bleachers and make fun of the cheerleaders. Yeah, so I was, I was a cheerleader for like five minutes, and then then they said I couldn't dance. Kind of talked me into going and being a cheerleader, and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll go try out with you, and never did because you know mm -hmm. there's this thing called coordination, which I in my life have never had. So I knew I would never, I wouldn't even make it through the first, first round. Wouldn't even make it. <laughs> yeah, I went to like one practice and they're like, you can't dance. And I said, okay, cool, bye. <laughs> My sister was a cheerleader in junior high and I was living in the area at the time and I had to, my parents, I think, I was watching them while they were on vacation or something like that and my parents were on vacation and I had to bring her to her cheerleading practice. 
And I only, had, I only did it once, and she never allowed me to do it again because I embarrassed her before she even got out of the car. Um, yes. I did my super, my super Barbie da, uh, voice. <laughs> I want to do that to Lily so bad. Huh? I want to do that to Lily so bad when she's older. Oh, I want a, I want a daughter so that I can do that to her too. I just want a kid. So even if it's a boy, I want to do it to the boy. Like, oh my God, like you were the, just like the cutest thing ever. We're, we're digressing hardcore guys. We totally are. Okay. This um, is what happens when guests don't show up and you know, whether it's for technical difficulties or whatever, this, this is what happens when you leave us alone. And We've had an entire month of not alone, even though we have loved every single guest that we've had because they're like our rock stars of one woman and words. Mm -hmm. but now we have to catch up. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's been a marathon this month. Mm -hmm. As I chug my wine. <laughs> okay. So next question. I wonder if maybe these questions scared her away, if I scared her away with my questions. You know, I, I saw, I was reading your email and the one you're like, I hope they don't intimidate you. I'm like, why would they intimidate her? They're awesome. Because <laughs> I don't know my own awesomeness because you're usually the one who comes up with most of these questions. They're like legit college level essay questions. Like, Michelle and I had this discussion, guys, by the way, after um, I sent her the email last night with my questions, and she was like, they were legit college questions. And I, was like, yeah. and I was like, maybe one day, you know, maybe one day I could be a professor and I could ask questions like this. And she's like, you will be. Yeah. And my response, of course, was, I'm going to teach wine women and words 101. I've got the lecture. She gets the lab. Yep. Which, and you know what's uh, going to happen in the lab. It's going to be an easy A, guys. So <laughs> You just have to be able to drink. That's it. Right? That's the lab. Open your laptop, start Google Hangouts, and then drink wine. And you have to know which wine it is that you're drinking. Because, I mean, we've got to mm -hmm. make it a little, you know, interesting. they got to know the difference between a Pinot Grigio and a Moscato. Which I don't know why anybody would subject somebody else to a Moscato. Uh, but what? <laughs> You like Moscato? Some Moscatos are okay. I have not met a Moscato yet that I like. They're so sick. They, they're so sweet. They actually kind of make me sick. And any wine that can make me sick is not a wine for me. Well, it's yeah. Kind of like I was going into a Beatrix uh, um, much ado about nothing uh, <laughs> thing. <laughs> Which yeah, but... about any man with a beard. It's not for any man without a beard. It's not for me. And any man with a beard is something like that. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get into this with the wine. See, any wine with unintended. Any wine with a fizz is not for me. <laughs> Just kidding. Any wine with Wine, women, and words. Sloshing our. We're trying to have a legitimate conversation about literature right now. And I go ahead and screw it up with jokes about Shakespeare and wine. I really hope for the audio portion that you could hear me pour my second glass of wine. Could you hear it? I think we did. And just in case you didn't hear it, I'm going to do it again. Okay. You're going to do it? 
And you've got the visual for everybody, too. I hope that doesn't make people have to go to the bathroom. No. With the sound of water. Here. I heard that one, so. Yeah. So that's your cue, people, to go get more wine. Yes. If I'm getting smashed on this episode, y'all are getting smashed. All right, so I want to... I'm going to jump. I'm not going to... Are you going to talk about the Gilmore Girls and my reference to Gilmore yes. Girls? <laughs> was, that, was that where you were going? That's exactly where I was going. Okay, so Diana had this question um, that was, what made you want to explore... No, wait. That was mine. Uh, her question was, in many ways, this felt like a... Uh, I don't think we're edited. We're on a podcast. We don't get fine. Okay. Earmuffs. In Earmuffs for anyways. Who? This, huh? Earmuffs for who? I don't know. People who get offended by F-bombs. They're listening to the wrong show. <laughs> In many ways, this felt like a fucked up version of the Gilmore Girls. Did you intend for this to be a dual coming-of-age story? I mean, come on. Gonna, I'm going to just piggyback immediately onto my question, which was what made you want to explore the father-daughter relationship instead of a mother-daughter relationship since we brought up Gilmore Girls? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, okay, let's analyze this through the lens of Gilmore Girls because lots of things are great when analyzed through the lens of Gilmore Girls. I mean, I think this is only third in line after Friends and Doctor Who for analyzation. I can't analysis. And analyze. <laughs> the word you're looking for is analyze. <laughs> um, uh, well, I can't read Doctor Who because I've never watched it. But yes, Friends, definitely. Gilmore Girls, definitely. I would probably put, I don't even know what I would put. Um, maybe How I Met Your Mother. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. Some things, you know, usually when it comes to other people's relationships. True. But anyway. Um, I think I haven't really read many stories about father-daughter relationships, so I thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. uh, to choose, especially when, I mean, and you've, so you've met Rufy, so you have, like, a basis of the novel. I have nothing so when you talk to her did she like talk about like her the inspiration that like where she got this from yeah. and, uh, so I met her at the wine women's national book association tea and when she was talking about uh, what brought this book about um, she was trying to get her first book off the ground and was really struggling and got some sort of, I don't know if it was a scholarship or what it was specifically, but it was an opportunity to travel abroad for this program, this writing program. And she did, she got into it and was, you know, really struck of luck to do it. And she ended up in Lithuania. And while she was there, that's where a lot of this book comes about was because of from being in Lithuania and, um, Initially, and that's why so much, so much of it's so vivid. I think is because she's been there, she's walked the streets, and she was able to really pull out the character of the city and the country, at least from what I can tell. Um, but then she was in the initial draft of the story, um, 
it was just Lucas. There wasn't any, Vera's voice wasn't in it at all. Really? And, yeah. That's interesting. And, yeah, and so her editor was like, we'd like to hear more about Vera. We'd like to hear more of her story. And so she went in and she added in those letters and we got to hear, and she went through and did another draft where we got to hear more of Vera's voice. And it's interesting in the story that even though the actual substantive chapters are in Lucas's voice, those letters that Vera writes are just... What is a crazy, like, okay, crazy is probably the wrong choice of words, but <laughs> like this girl has deeper thoughts than I've probably had in my entire life. Ooh, are you going to share one of your passages? One of your, one of your favorite passages of Vera? Her, all right, I have quotes that I like the best from Vera. Well, from the whole book, really. But mm -hmm. my Vera quotes, um, things didn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. They could be weird and fucked up and insane and still be beautiful. And can you really believe that dudes would only just, can, can you really believe that dudes would only just be figuring that out? And then, oh no, I think that, I think this was Susan, hold on. But my favorite one was from page 34, and she's writing to Fang about when they first get to Lithuania, and she says, but Fang, his voice, it was like bronze and chocolate melted together and flung through the air in spangles. Like, who talks like that? No 70 people, I know. Yeah, um, and she described the little man like a teapot. Uh, wearing mm -hmm. a the music itself was just a pianist and a singer, and the singer was an incredibly short, fat little man who was shaped just like a teapot, only he was wearing a tuxedo. I mean, you get the perfect visual images in this, and I that was my one of my favorite passages as well. And also, I, we're digressing, but that's the theme of the evening. Um, this book has made me want to go to Lithuania so bad. Like it's it's never even been a blip on my travel radar. But and particularly to Zupis. Okay. The 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 village founded by artists across the river. Okay. So I'm just gonna read the constitution of Zupis. I'm probably butchering the name. Um, it has, and this is real because I looked it up. This is the actual constitution of this village. Um, everyone has the right to live by the River Vilnia, while the River Vilnia has the right to flow by everyone. Everyone has the right to be idle. Everyone has the right to love and take care of a cat. Everyone has the right to look after a dog till one or the other dies. A dog has the right to be a dog. A cat is not obliged to love its master, but it must help him in difficult times. Everyone has the right to sometimes be unaware of his duties. Everyone has the right to be happy. Everyone has the right to be unhappy. Everyone has the right to be silent. Everyone has the right to have faith. No one has the right to violence. Everyone has the right to encroach upon eternity. And then it has these instructions, do not fight, do not win. Do not surrender. Can we go move there? Right? Like tomorrow? Open up a little show. By artists. Yes. And okay, so I'm going to share one of my favorite quotes now. 
which okay. goes back to the whole Russianness discussion that we had. Okay. It's in, um, okay, here we go. It's on page 198. One part of me thinks I am just a collection of cells and hormones and hair. The idea that I am entirely a Jew because it was my mother and not my father who was Jewish, as though there is a metaphysical baton that she has passed me. Well, isn't it insane? I am equally my father's daughter and so half Lithuanian or Polish. It's always unclear to me whether we are Lithuanian or Polish, but isn't Grandma Sylvia's blood in my veins too? It seems so obvious now that I am here, my connection to her. I was not aware of it, but I think my whole life I have been pretending he is not my father on some level. I've been pretending that he is nothing. To, he has nothing to do with me, but he does. Which that goes into the whole Russianness discussion that we had, and then also the messed up Gilmore Girls, because they're gaining their relationship together at the same time as they're they're both finding out who they are, because he is coming of age, even though he's in his thirties, and I think a lot of his maturity factor ended up getting stunted because he had this child at such a young age and he really wasn't ready for it he kind of i have i have this note that i wrote that says lucas sees himself as a passive spectator to to life everything happens to him instead of him actively choosing the path he goes down and then i have one of the quotes because he's talking about how he drinks too much and I mean, he's he's not an alcoholic, but he definitely goes out and gets drunk. And um, you know, by when you if you have a seventeen year old daughter that you're trying to get to know for the first time in your life, you probably shouldn't go out and get hammered all the time. With her. but um, but one of his quotes was, "My body is just another dissertation that I'll never finish." And he's kind of he's so lost. Mm -hmm. And he's lost because of this, you know, he, uh, he, you know, he betrayed Katya by calling his parents or calling his mom. Mm -hmm. He abandoned Vera. Mm -hmm. He had, what was that girl? Chelsea? Was her name Chelsea? Yeah, I think so. Chloe. The, yeah, from the... From the, the commune? Yes, from the commune that... Wanted to, she just wanted to go home. Like he, and then his mom, who was abandoned by his father. And then he was ultimately abandoned by his father. But like, yeah, these things that would, things keep happening to him as opposed to him actually taking responsibility for himself. So they're both really lost people. But mm -hmm. I really like that, you know, when she really needed him at the end, like when it, you know, was very clear that she had a problem, that he was there for her, and she let him take care of her. Because she was very like standoffish at first and just pretending to be nice to him to see what would happen and how he would react. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it, I mean, is also goes back to her being at that age where she's she's 17, she's, she's coming at that age where you question your parents, you question everything that you've been taught. And, you know, I can relate to her in some regards in that, but she's, she's feeling him out, seeing if he's somebody who's going to judge her or if he's actually going to accept her for who she is. Um, so, I mean, I can kind of see that, but I love how they ended up coming together at the end where they actually ended up developing this father-daughter relationship. What was the other quote that I wrote down that I really liked? Um, 
this is more about the town than the characters, but since we talk about the town, um, there used to be a saying that in Vilnius, Vilnius, the facades were Russian, the interiors were Polish, the streets were Jewish, and the ghosts were Lithuanian. And it's really crazy to me. I mean, you know, we have in America, we have a very rich history and we have a lot of culture, but we're such a young country that we don't have the history, you know, beyond, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of crazy to think that there is a town that has had its entire population wiped out and mm -hmm. rebuilt and wiped out and rebuilt by different cultures. So there yeah. is like, even though we're like the melting pot of cultures, but we're so big that you can't see the different effects of each culture. And with ours, the, the cultures don't necessarily get wiped out. It's a matter of... It's like a blending. Yeah, and then generational moves. Like, you look at some of the issues going on with, like, the Little Italy's here in the United States, where, like, Little Italy's, Little Saigon's, uh, Little Korea towns, those are places where the immigrants came and gathered. They were able to get housing there. They were able to be around people of their, like, cultures. And as generations have evolved and grown in the country, um, the future subsequent generations have moved out of there. And then new generations of new cultures have come in um, as like, for example, in Italy, Little Italy in New York, there's a lot more Chinese coming in uh, to Little Italy than there ever was before because, you know, a lot of the Italian people that grew up there are starting to move out and you're not having such an influx of Italians immigrating into the United States as there was in the early 20th century. But we are having an influx of the Chinese. And so you see this kind of change, but it's a change over like decades, not like, like with this, it wasn't like a change, slow change like that. It was a boom, there's a war, everybody's gone. Right. And it was, and a, new, it was, and it was a new country that, you know, that of immigrants that were coming in. So yeah. it was, you know, first it was the, you know, the Lithuanians, they were there first and those are the ghosts. And then you have the Polish. And then next was the, I lost my page. So I forget who else it is, you know, and then the Russians and then the Jews. And then I just, I would love to go there just to see everything. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, for my travels, I've pretty much stayed in the Western Hemisphere. I've been like mostly like South America, Australia, and that area. And I'm looking forward to going back to Europe to see more of of that. Um, yeah, more of those, that cultural interchange and things. I definitely didn't appreciate it when I lived there. Like, hmm. I you know I was I lived in Switzerland from when I was 10 years old to 15 years old, and I didn't care about the history or the art or the architecture. I cared that there was no TV in English. <laughs> Which and, when you're a 12-year-old, that's going to be a pain in the ass. And that the only English bookstore was three hours away by train. Uh, yeah. That, so you totally relate to Belle. That was brutal. Yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> I walked into that bookstore. We would go there. My mom and I would take the train up to Zurich like once every couple months 
and I don't know how she afforded my book habit because I would walk out with like, you know, 10, 20 books, I feel like, and they would all be read in, you know, four days. <laughs> oh, and a bookworm was born. Yes. Oh, man. So this is the second book that we've read this year that has dealt with uh, mental illness in um, in the story. Because we also had guests on Earth that had mm -hmm. uh, the mental illness issues in there. Um, what do you think? What do you think of the portrayals? I think this was probably the first one, first book that dealt with it on like a really intimate level. Like guests on Earth, you knew that, you know, it was in a mental hospital. So you knew that they were there for a reason, but they were still, you know, very much together for, you know, for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, not all the time, but mm -hmm. I feel like it wasn't even that, the story was more focused on the, you know, the characters and their development versus in Dear Fang with Love, the mental illness and, you know, the bipolar disorder is a major factor in mm -hmm. Vera's development. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought it was really interesting, especially since she's a teenager and, you know, she's crazy and she's hormonal and, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, at the same time, I can see Lucas's point of view where they were so quick to, you know, say like, oh, she has bipolar. Like, let's mm -hmm. put her on medication and stuff her full of pills and call it a day. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really kind of interesting to see a character go through that where, um, you know, you didn't know if she was sick or is she, is she sick? Is she not sick? Is she sick? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was so sad. That she wasn't, and even in the beginning of the book, when she first gets the diagnosis, the doctor was like, "We don't normally treat uh, diagnose people this young," but I feel so strongly that she is that we're going to go ahead and move forward with this diagnosis. And I, I wonder if the fact that you know she did go through this because you know they, you find out that she was on acid the night that the party mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. So that may not necessarily have been the disorder, but I wonder if the fact that she went through this and it was kind of brought to her attention that it forced it to come out of her a lot earlier. Um, Katja brought up uh, in one of the lines um, when Lucas was saying, hey, I don't think she's sick. Katja was like, yes, she is because the acid actually brings it about. Mm -hmm. She mentioned something that they find that that'll bring on the episodes and it'll actually bring it to the forefront if they actually do have it. It's really, I couldn't imagine like seeing my child go through that. Like you would probably have to strap me down before I let you strap my kid down. And mental illness is a hard, a hard uh, illness to to really, um, to see, to be able to, to understand and contemplate because, you know, if you see somebody's, um, 
you know, the kidney shutting down, you see the physical issues that come across, you see the yelling of the skin and whatnot, uh, like with, or like with a liver disorder, you see those outward physical things start to happen. And, you know, maybe it's a societal thing where you see with the mental illness, where it breaks people down, and you see those issues start to come forward, you just diagnose and you're like, oh, they're crazy. And you just, you give them, you don't give them a second thought, you don't, associate with them you walk away um but at the same time it's like the brain's an organ uh mm. just like any other part of the body and sometimes organs don't work properly and we're we're i think we're just starting to starting as a society to start to really grasp that and especially when a lot of times i feel like mental illness today in our society is is more frequently associated with veterans mm -hmm. like there's a an automatic connection between mental illness and veterans to have it be a 17 year old girl is really different and kind of helps show that it's not just there aren't necessarily outside factors that do this to you like this is just something that's inside that you have no control over. Like, yes, there are outside factors that bring it out of you mm -hmm. and it can change you and alter you. And, you know, maybe it never would have happened, but it's in your brain. You can't help it. It's just yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Just like, I mean, when you get cancer, maybe there's an outside influence that brings it up and, and pulls it out. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that, yeah, it's it's been there. It's there. It's something that happens within your body. It's not necessarily something that you do to yourself. And not saying that veterans do it to themselves because, you know, my husband had to deal with it. And we've had to deal with people, um, family, friends who are who were veterans who had to deal with mental illness. Um, but there shouldn't be such a stigma around the mental illness factors, especially with veterans. That's one that hits home with me. Um, especially when he first came back from in between his time as a contractor and as a, a vet, he was going to go do the contracting and our family was just like, no, don't you, you stay home because they were all freaked out. So we're like, okay, let the family talk us into uh, having him stay. And he was going through the um, rounds of interviews and it was like 2008, roughly before there was really this emphasis on, hey, we need to make sure our vets are taken care of. And the interviewer just started asking him all these questions about PTSD and how many soldiers have PTSD and do you, have you had PTSD? Yeah, and, let's, let's talk about that in a job interview. Great. And that's actually inappropriate and illegal, by the way, um, to ask somebody if they have PTSD. That's that's wrong. And he's you know desperate for a job, but yet they're automatically viewing him as a crazy person just because he went to a war. A war, by the way, that neither of us were really all that into. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's really, it's this really fine line. And I, and I don't know, I think a book like this right now, especially, is really important because, um, excuse me, getting political for just a few moments. Mm -hmm. um, the, the changes that are happening with our government and the healthcare, <coughs> there's talks of mental illness support not being there for people anymore. And so I think books like this are really important to help uh, destigmatize mental illness in general and 
to also show that, hey, these people do need help. And even beyond, I mean, aside from help, we need to let people know that they're not alone. Because I feel like being, you know, you're part of this like ostracized group of people mm -hmm. where, you know, oh, you have even, all right, not, not that any mental illness is minor. This mm -hmm. is a very sensitive subject. <laughs> so please forgive us people if we step on toes and offend yeah. you do not we don't mean it and we don't we don't take it lightly and we don't you know I, I know i personally have had people who in that i personally know who've had mental illnesses so and i also came from an environment like this is another thing where I, when i grew up i grew up in a very very strict christian environment where it wasn't mental illness it was demon possession not lying, it was demon possession, and you had your hands laid on you, and you had to pray the demons out. Okay. And that was how you got through mental illness was uh, through prayer, and that therapy was from the devil. Well, for some people, I'm sure that is how you handle it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know these, there you know there are like the the illness is that you can like take a pill and it's, you know, handled, but it's still like once you once someone finds out like, Oh, you have that. Like, even if you're not cast out, people still look at you different. And mm -hmm. I think people who suffer from mental illness need to know that we're not looking at you differently. Like, you know, you're the same person, that you were 10 minutes before, you know, mm -hmm. anyone found out about whatever you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I think that plays a huge part in their recovery or their, you know, healing or coping. Absolutely. Anyway. So on that note, um, hopefully we can have Rufi on, um, on another episode so we can go through and get her opinions on these questions. Yeah, because right now it's just two girls drinking wine, rambling. Yes, drinking wine and um, the coldies, that coldies drink, the stuff to keep you from not getting a cold. You trans, I was going to say, you switched glasses. I did. I have the wine here, and then I have the stuff that keeps you from getting a cold. I want to say it was like coldies or whatever, um, or that stuff that's like really packed with citrus. I can't remember the name of it. Um, an awful combination. Yeah, you know, not so bad. <laughs> okay, um, this, this, and the Chardonnay um, Pinot Grigio complements itself. So people, <laughs> Doctor Diana recommends this. And by saying Doctor Diana, I'm not really a doctor. Do not take any medical advice from me. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Never take medical advice from me, unless it's to drink more wine. Because yes, everybody should be drinking more wine. And eat more chocolate. Yeah, that too. So, next month's book. Yes. I'm excited about it. I'm excited for you to read this. Um, Kate, what's her last name again? Um, Kate Warren is just, she. I was telling Michelle, she's written for, written for Michelle, basically. She's Michelle's kind of I'm character. Very okay. So, all right, so here's the premise of the book. 
With no money and no husband, Kate Warren finds herself with few choices. The streets of 1856 Chicago offer a desperate widow mostly trouble and ruin, unless that widow has a knack for manipulation and an unusual quick mind. In a bold move that no other woman has tried, Kate convinces a legendary Alan Pinkerton to hire her as a detective. Battling criminals and co-workers alike, Kate immerses herself in the dangerous life of an operative, winning the right to tackle some of the agency's toughest investigations. Boom. <laughs> I totally needed a boom after that. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a fun read. It's a fun summer read. I've actually started reading it, and I stopped myself to slow down so that um, I can enjoy it with all of you guys. And Greer is going to be on the show. Oh, hi. Hello. Person ever. I'm so, so incredibly sorry. I can't even... I don't have a good excuse. I'm so sorry. I can't believe that I spaced out in this way. No worries. So, <laughs> so you have some time for some questions? Yes, of course. I'm, I'm going to give you my excuse just so you don't think I'm a terrible Cretan. My friend, um, my best friend from like when I was 15 years old, haven't seen her since she had her new baby. And I just didn't keep track of what time it was, like in a very serious <laughs> way. So I am so sorry. Not a problem at all, because, um, you know, stuff happens. So we figured we'd carry on without you, and you could come on when you were ready. So shall we dive into our first questions? Let's talk about because we were talking about some of the questions beforehand. So, um, Michelle, where do you want to start? What, what was one of your burning questions for Rofi? One of my burning questions. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let me consult my list. Now, Rufy, you are about a glass and a half in right now. <laughs> so, so apologies. Um, I'm not apologizing. She's apologizing. <laughs> I my glass and a half. It's very possible. <laughs> well, can you speak up again? I I can hear you. I was saying that my glass. So. Well, I think, okay, so I'm actually going to go off list here um, because I remembered the town of, oh, okay, burning question. How yes. do you pronounce Vil, Vilnius? Vilnius? Vilnius. Vilnius. Okay, you were, I was, someone was right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you question Michelle. Um, how, the, the, village of Uzupis. What? That sounds like such a interesting little group of people. Like what what was it like to be I feel like it was just it would just be like a a I I don't even know. I can't but their constitution is awesome. Oh, you mean Uzupis? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's like uh, that district. So, so Vilnius is much more than a village, right? It's like a, a major capital city in Lithuania. Um, and, but Ujibis is this neat sort of artist district that's extraordinarily tiny in the city. And it was um, kind of a slum under the Soviets where um, mostly like prostitutes and poets and drunkards live 
um, under Soviet life, there was like no life for artists. And so like this nihilism and self-destruction and art really all kind of like went together. Um, but then when you're not in those conditions, those things don't have to go together. Um, a lot of the book is about, you know, But yes, I love the Constitution as well. And it is a real place. It is fabulous. We could go visit there. <laughs> yeah, Michelle is kind of obsessed with uh, Vilnius now and, and Lithuania. We were Before you came on, she was talking about how now she absolutely has to go there. And I told her a little bit about how you've, at, you've been there. This is part of what inspired the book, right? Was I was working as a waitress at Ruby's. And my life was like super depressing. And so at night I would just go home and get really drunk and just submit to literary magazines. Just like, <laughs> just like, uh, uh, uh. Like I wouldn't even know where I submitted at the end of it. It was all just so hopeless. I felt so sad about it. Um, and so then I got this notification that I had like placed third place in a contest that I had no memory of entering. But the prize was, I could attend this writing program. And then the the one that fit with my schedule that I could attend was in Vilnius, Lithuania. And I had, um, and then I wound up dating a Belarusian guy. And like, I probably knew more about every other Eastern Bloc country than Lithuania, honestly. Um, I had like no mental concept of it at all. And so then I went there and it's such a fabulous, fabulous and idiosyncratic um, place. And also, of course, it's a deeply private place. I don't mean to say that. But definitely a very complicated and interesting And um, like someday I have to write about this place. Then when I was writing a follow-up of my second book after the girls from Corona Del Mar, I knew one great point about it was about identity and there's really no greater place to explore identity than Vilnius where identity itself is a jeopardy kind of. And that's one of the things that we were talking about is that it's really you know our um, you know our country is so young that there isn't a, you know there's a rich history but not you know as deep a history as you know um, Europe and and Eastern Europe, and to have um, you know the the saying oh, I'm I'm going to bring it up now. Hold on, um, that let me get back there. Um, there used to be a saying that in Vilnius the facades were Russian, the interiors were Polish, the streets were Jewish, and the ghosts were Lithuanian. So it's really interesting to see or to know that there is you know a, a town that has that many layers and like very distinct layers of culture in it from from different groups of people yeah i mean i think that i think that there's probably i mean i think that that kind of cultural layering is specifically evocative to americans because the closest correlative really that i can think of is american cities um, I mean, I think you could, in many ways, argue that um, L.A., while L.A. just hasn't had as dramatic a story in terms of the history of the 20th century 
I mean, that's the thing that I think is really interesting about Vilnius is because it's the geographical center of Europe, it wound up changing hands so often um, during sort of like the great tumult of World War One, World War Two, and then um, during the, the Soviet Empire. And so um, it was central in a way that, um, you know, L.A. wasn't was not changing hands. But there's also I, I think that. Um, so much of the book, I knew that I couldn't authentically write anything about what it's like to be Lithuanian. Um, I knew that I couldn't write authentically about what it's like to be a young Jewish girl who's not certain how Jewish she is. But I knew that I could write about being Californian. <laughs> and I know Californian is a lot about being Jewish and hearing these stories about your grandma, but also being Tongan and playing football and, and that everybody has these ties to the world and to history. And it's not clear how much they matter. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they are, maybe it doesn't really matter. And you can kind of just forget all those old family stories. And you're just like a washed clean person, you know, mm -hmm cultural amnesia interests me in like a Didian nihilistic Californian sense of like there being maybe something particularly weird about Californians and their like willingness to be amnesiac about their own histories. Yeah and that's such a great point that you know the willingness to be amnesiac about their own histories you don't see like some of the cultural stuff and even like uh, California history in and of itself. You have to really know to, where to look for California history beyond just your basic um, Groman's Chinese theater or Hollywood that we have this rich history, but we, we choose, we forget it. And whether it's by choice or by, we just forget because of the sun, who knows? Um, so I love that point. That is a really great point. All right, so I gotta ask one of my um, questions here about Let's see here, since we're, we're jumping around now. Um, I felt like the book was kind of a fucked up Gilmore Girls, to put it bluntly. Um, did you intend on this being a dual coming of age story? Because in so many ways, it felt like it was a coming of age for Lucas as well. Even though he's in his 30s, he's finally maturing and bringing himself back to up to adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I guilt it's we tried so hard because the when the new Gilmore Girls just came out everyone was like raving about it and I had never gotten into the show I think because in boarding school we didn't really have TV uh -huh. and then in college I was just too poor to ever afford cable or have a TV and so for like 15 years of my life I just didn't have a TV um and then once you could stream things on your laptop then all of a sudden I like culturally picked it back up again kind of but so I tried to go back and watch Gilmore Girls and I just like didn't, I didn't get into it. So obviously I, what I personally wasn't thinking about Gilmore Girls when I wrote it, but I do think that the comparison is relevant and that there definitely is a way. In, I mean, I guess for me, I'm always really interested in the positions and those life lessons. And so for me, teenagehood and that first coming into an understanding of kind of place the world really is and like that your actions matter and have effects and consequences that you then like have to definitely deal with mm -hmm. I find that 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 period in late adolescence to be really fascinating 
But then I'm, I'm also like in my, you know, early 30s and I'm raising kids and I'm having to like be a grown up. And so I think I find those life lessons to be really fascinating. So I think it's like in a certain sense, very simple why I pair the two arcs together is because they're the, they're the ones that kind of interest me and that I feel like I know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you bring up it. You're in your 30s and you still feel like you're learning life lessons because half the time I'm in my 30s. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm almost, I'm pushing 40 and, um, I still, I have the time. I don't feel like an actual adult. There's some moments where I feel like I'll actually think, oh, I feel so grown up right now. <laughs> like, well, you should be, you're in your thirties. Like when I actually pay a bill on time. Oh, I'm still horrible about the mail and paying bills and. Oh, I have to go through such mental gymnastics just to pay my taxes, like make myself sit down and be like, okay, what is deductible and where are your forms and, you know, <laughs> just do it. I'm really bad at that part of being a grown up. I think there's like a different, I don't know if you guys do kids. I have Jesus. two kids. I've got dogs. I know they don't really fully Stop. count, but I consider myself a dog mom. Yeah, I think that for me, the kids, had a big um uh i can hear one of them crying now um oh. <laughs> big, uh, maturing impact um and just because like uh, your life just it's not about you anymore mm -hmm. in like a real moment to moment way like it just doesn't matter if you have to pee mm -hmm. you know what i mean <laughs> you gotta get over the fact that you need to pee you gotta work around and if you and, do have to and, pee, just realize you're not going to pee by yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because you see so much of that come out with Lucas. Because, I mean, he really, for most of the book, he wasn't there for Vera. He didn't have those experiences until they're there in Lithuania. Um, so I love all of that. And the characters are also vivid. And Grandma Sylvia. Let's just talk about Grandma Sylvia here for a bit. Because even though she technically wasn't in the book per se, she had a huge presence in the book with her stories and some of the other stories. What went into the research for those stories? Well, Grandma Sylvia was entirely straight up stolen from an incredibly talented writer named Joseph Kansas, who is um, Hungarian. And then it was a woman in his family basically had this, this situation, escaping the gas chambers by means of a rape and then would um, celebrate it every year by having a rape birthday. Um, I don't think that I would have had the balls to psychologically make that up if I hadn't heard it, an anecdote from him of something that really happened. Um, and I just was like, yes, exactly. You know what I mean? I feel like mm -hmm. so often you want to not debate women as to whether or not rape actually occurred. And then they have to exhaustively prove that then how they process it, how they feel about it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, there's just like something really important about the way that she incorporates her rape into her life and insists that her family also just accept that this happened and that it is part of the fabric of their existence and how they, how they survived and how they got through it. And so um, that seems really relevant to me in terms of like these 
these ways in which like our identity is forged both between, you know, our biological identity, our racial and cultural identity, and of course our biographical identity, the things that happen to us and the rituals that we make up, the stories that we tell mm -hmm. ourselves and other people about who we are. Um, and so, um, yeah, I love Grandma Sylvia. Some of the stories I remember my Russian teacher telling me she made this zafu of trying to buy rabbit per pound from a pet store when she first came to the U.S. because rabbit is very much something that you can eat in Russia. And so, like, the idea that you couldn't just, that they were for pets, like, she just didn't understand the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I work with the elderly, and I could totally see one of her clients doing that, too. <laughs> What do you mean you can't eat them? <laughs> yeah, it's like well, they're, what they're for. Like it would be the same. I mean, in America, if you bought a chicken and made a joke about eating it, no one would think you were weird. You know. So. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a crazy, very fascinating, very interesting um, thing, and I love that. Um, Michelle, did you want to go ahead and ask some of your questions? Um, sure. So. All right, just a kind of a plot point that I got really mad at Lucas about was that he, so he had this moment where he was going to be a dad and he, he was going to go out and buy his daughter a necklace just because he wanted her to remember this trip. And that was like one of the first moments where I thought like, yes, like Lucas, you're, you're a dad, do this. And then he gave it to Susan and I got so mad. Like I, I actually had to stop reading and walk away because I was so mad at him that he gave this necklace to Susan after he spent all this time like picking out the perfect one for Vera. So I really just want to know why. Well, I think that it is a mark of immaturity to think that like the particulars don't matter. Mm -hmm. that like your intentions are good and you know it was he was gonna buy her another one there was a whole store full of amber necklaces you could get Vera a different necklace and it doesn't really matter and you can kind of just gloss over it and do what you want to do and you know it's the same way like you'll see like um men baffled why a really ugly divorce like why should everyone be mad at them just because they wanted to sleep with somebody else you know what I mean like there's this way in which you can convince yourself when you're only interested in your own narrative of events and you're not being curious about other superiorities. You can convince yourself that your good intentions are really enough to skate by on and that the details really don't matter. And so it's this sort of moment where we think that he's learned the great lessons about how to be a grown up and how to be a dad and he just just makes the same mistake again. I feel like the universe always gives you another chance to make the same mistake you always make. And that's it for him, is to think that you can substitute the real thing for a fake, a fake thing for the real thing, and it looks the same. Um, to not understand, like, the magic of intentionality and that that is what's real, is what you what you intend that that's where the the magic is that it meant something that he put that necklace out of Rivera um and then it's not just like superstitious to think that 
in the same way, he feels very troubled by the promises that he and Kat made each other. He's like, how can you count? We were teenagers. Like, obviously, we shouldn't have stayed on this farm. You know, he wasn't getting prenatal care. I needed to do something. But he also didn't in any way take seriously the fact that this with her and then reneged and mm -hmm. didn't, you know, didn't follow through. Yeah, Lucas was such an interesting character. I mean, they all were, um, they, they're all very vivid characters. I mean, even Delinius uh, was a character in and of itself, uh, I feel, in the book. Because I don't think, I was trying to think about it, you couldn't place a story anywhere else in the world, really. It was, it had to be there. It was very much there. And, but with Lucas, and he was so fascinating, and uh, Michelle touched on this um, a bit, too, that he was, um, he felt like a lot of, it was like a lot of things happened to him. Or he felt that way. That it was all about things happening to him as opposed to him actually taking responsibility for them. And it felt like he internalized a lot of that. A lot of those things that, you know, and second guessing himself too. Yeah, he's very, that's exactly part of the book is him figuring out how to take responsibility, how to, um, how to be an actor in his own life. You know, I do have to say though, one, we have to take a pause and one moment I do have to say, the history teacher creeped me the F out. <laughs> oh my God, that guy. I was like, I thought for sure he was going to do something to Vera, and I was, I was in my pool reading while I was doing that, and I, I nearly dropped the book in the water because I was like, because I was screaming at, yelling at the book, you've got to do something, Lucas, you've got to punch the guy. Oh, you mean, you mean, oh, the, oh, you. What, what was his name, Kenneth? I feel like. Yeah. 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 I thought talking about Darius. And no, I, Darius was kind of, that was kind of weird. I wasn't sure what was going with him. I mean, I kind of. I liked him. Where I was coming from, because I was a teenager who liked older boys, too. Um, but yeah, no, that history teacher, that, that creepy Kenneth that was. Yeah. I, oh, he was very creepy, huh? Um, and it's. Did you end up meeting him when you were on your trip in Lithuania? Is he based on somebody real? Well, he's an amalgam of people. I mean, he definitely was based on somebody that I met in Lithuania, but he also was based on like the story in particular about a, the dog exploding was I had just moved to Virginia for grad school and I was checking out with my groceries and I said to the checker, like, you know, he said, Hey, how are you? And I was like, Oh, I'm having a pretty good day. How are you doing? And he said, I'm really bummed out, you know? I read Chaka Spaniels and one of my bitches just exploded. And I was like, what? Yeah. And so he tells the story about her getting impregnated by some Doberman and then the puppies grew too big inside her and just exploded her insides. And he's like, I'm just so messed up about it. And I was like, yeah, but also this is a really weird story and the way you're talking about it is really weird. And it all just sort of stuck <laughs> in So when I needed some way of getting across to the reader that there was something really wrong with Kenneth, but that it wasn't <laughs> a straightforward thing where like you could stand up and be like, don't talk to us about this. Like that it was mm -hmm. a more like the kind of thing where you're like, ah, ha, 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 but you yeah. don't know what to say that anecdote like 
came up in the back of my mind. And so I kind of gave him that business to do. Because mm-hmm. we've all been in that conversation where it's like, ah, don't want to be here. Don't want to be talking about this. Don't want to be hearing this story. And yeah, he was just, yeah, he was all kinds of creepy. I just, I just had to share that. He was just creepy. He gave me chills. <laughs> he really was. And I, I think that was one of the, one of the dad moments. Like when, even if Lucas didn't realize it and he didn't maybe in, intentionally do it, that was when like the dad came out in him. And that was one of his moments, but he should have, I feel like he, he could have capitalized on that a little bit more. But also Vera was, you know, in, in her letters to Fang, and I feel like Fang, we, we haven't talked about him at all. And Fang was just as huge a character. I don't think, when I was 17, I definitely didn't know boys who talked like that and acted like that. And, you know, and I love saying I had a man at an event come up to me and he was like, now what? He was like older and charming and maybe British or else extremely affected. And he was like, um, you know, I have to ask you, saying, you know, where did he come from? And I was like, well, really, I stole a lot of elements of saying from my husband. And um, he was like, you are lucky, lucky. <laughs> um, definitely. Do you want this? Yeah. It's interesting because I feel... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just, my child entered the room. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my, my child decided to, to come in and bug me too. Um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, and it was it's really great about Fang because we, we kind of seem to form a character around the character kind of form, is, is formed around him because um, you have Vera doing the, you know, so much of the talking, but then you get uh, Fang. Like you hear some of his voice in some of the earlier stuff, but in those letters, you really get to get to know him through um, Vera's responses to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that just so well done with how he was. Um, just kind of, it was just kind of formed around in the letters. I don't know if I'm getting that across properly. Um. Yeah, I mean, I thought I originally didn't have him, his letters included. And then when I found a way to include them, I felt like it really, I wanted there to be a there there. I wanted there to be some real thing where you say, of course, this is the kind of guy that would legitimately love Vera. And there's something that she should and does love about him and it's real even though they're 17 it's real it doesn't mean they'll make it it doesn't mean they'll be together forever it doesn't mean the relationship is meant to stay but like it is a genuine intimacy that they have you know and that was kind of important to me and he needed to be really special i felt like in order to be a good match for her i wanted them to be like star kind of in that way mm-hmm. and i, I, yeah, I love like, that oh. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, I thought that the letters were at the end. That, that just, it, yeah, it just totally that. I think um, it takes, like, I remember when, okay, when I was 17, who was I? Okay, I know who I was going out with when I was 17. And that person definitely wouldn't have had the presence of mind to say, you know, I love you, but we shouldn't be together. So I think it shows a lot of Fang's personality and his strength of character to say, 
we're not right for each other. You're, we're not where we need to be for each other, but I'm still going to do what I need to do to look out for you. Uh-huh. So he's like, I kind of picture him as like this giant teddy bear who just like loves to love people. Yeah. I mean, I think that he is, but he's also, I mean, I, I love that he can't successfully work at Fat Burger, you know, like just not <laughs> able <laughs> to function in the world in that way. Um, so he's a, he's also a misfit, you know, in many ways, like, even though he's like very like successful at, in the sense that he's a football player and he's able to like fulfill certain cultural norms and still goes to church and pays lip service to all these sort of social spheres. There's also a way in which like probably most of the football players are not getting thing on a deep level. And maybe like most of the people he goes to church with are not getting thing on a deep level. And he has that like, you know, really expansive interiority that's really complicated and Vera gets him and she fulfills that need for intimacy so that he's not so isolated, even though he's actually in the midst of, like, a lot of social fabric. Mm -hmm. Now, um, one of the things that kept coming up and that people kept telling Lucas was, once you come to Villainous, you always return. You always come back here. Um, I feel like he was returning on behalf Sylvia was that something that you were thinking too or yeah well I mean for on the one hand it's a thing they really say it's like a real myth about the city um on the other hand I think that I wanted to make a real statement about the extent to which like you can't simply erase history those histories are part of you like you will you we are all controlled by the past we are thrown things and our trajectory was many before we were born. And like you can control the way you contort yourself as your girl through the air. We are a throne. And there's nothing to be about. Um, um, and so, have like a man that you can leave the path behind and that maybe you can sort of be washed clean of history itself and so I wanted that theme of Vilnius being able to even control your future um, like indirect kind of contradiction to the safety of the end out and the cleanliness of Irvine <laughs> Well, I think we, I mean, I don't know about you, Diana, but I would totally be open to scheduling uh, a continuation episode only because it's like midnight here and my kids are going to wake up at like six. (laughs) I just, I just. Oh no 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 no! Kind of like professional thing that I don't I don't wish to behave. I feel I feel really horrible. You should have seen the first video of me realizing in the living room as we were all watching this 
I was like, well, not a problem. We will, uh, you can come back on the show and, um, we will talk more about Vera. We will talk more about uh, Lithuania and more, we'll obsess more about the book because I know I was fangirling about it. And Michelle, I kid you not, I think read it in about 24 hours. Okay, she, I, got she, it, I got it on a Friday. And usually, like, you get it. Kids don't give you a ton of time to read. Um, so usually it does take me like the full month to read a book. And there have been more than one one books where I'm finishing the book the night before we're having the author on just because I haven't had time to read. I finished your book the first weekend of the month. I read it in a weekend, which is unheard of for me. That makes me so It's one of my like abiding beliefs that like books should be fun to read. <laughs> I don't know why anyone it's not that they only have to be fun to read, but if you can make them fun to read and still say what you want to say, I don't know. I find reading to be like very fun and joyful, and so I want it to be like fun to read and I enjoy reading. And I text Diana and and I said, so I kind of forgot that this was a book of the month, and I may have already finished it. Yeah, I get this text like I may or may not be forty pages away from finishing the book, and normally I'm the one who finishes the books before she does, and I purposely slow down for her uh, so that we can be somewhat at the same level. And I was like, "Oh crap, I gotta get back to reading this mm -hmm. now." <laughs> oh well, thank you, ladies, so much. Absolutely. So we're gonna we'll set up another time for you to come, and, and we'll chat more because we still have a ton of questions. But I do have two, I have a year and a half year old and a three year old who don't care what time I go to bed. Oh my gosh, yeah, I got a almost five year old and a two year old and they wake when the sun rises no matter what, so. That's, that's what literally what my daughter says when she wakes up. She looks outside and she goes, the sun is awake. I'm like, yeah, but mommy's not. <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> well, thank you so much and have a wonderful night and just let me know whatever whatever works for you with your schedule and I promise not to be such a horrible place <laughs> <laughs> well, well we I'm appreciate you showing up anyways and we I love that we were able to discuss the book and we will discuss the book some more all right thank you so much thank, thank you. you have a good night good night